Hello, thank you for joining the Camden First Assembly broadcast. We are so excited to share the Word of God with you today, believing that this Word is exactly what He has for your life. So, stay tuned for today's message, and as always, remember, there's a place for you at Camden First Assembly. First Peter chapter 1, and then we're going to go to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And this morning, I want to preach to you a message entitled, Faith to Face the Fire. Faith to face the fire. Um, and I want to, uh, I want to, I want to dive into this because I really believe that the Holy Spirit is preparing you and I uh, to be, uh, to grow to such a point that we realize that when we face uh, trials, when we face tribulations, when we face difficulties, uh, God has not called us to back down and God has not called us uh, to settle for uh, giving into the fires, to giving into the trials, to giving into the tribulations, the things that we face. God has called you and I to be a people who live by faith. We live by faith and not by sight. So what happens in life is that when we see a trial or when we're facing a trial or when we're facing a test, when our faith is being tested, uh, the enemy wants to do everything that he can to get you and I to back down from our faith, uh, to, uh, to, to settle and to second guess. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share these two passages of Scripture with you this morning, and then I'm going to share with you the word that the Lord put on my heart for us today of, of how we have that faith to face the fire. If you've got uh, your phone with you this morning or your iPad, you can follow along with the sermon notes today. Uh, I've got it in there, and you can, uh, you can take notes on that uh, as well if you didn't come prepared to take notes um, the old school way. First Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 9 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Um, Jesus said in John 16, 33, we're headed over to Daniel chapter 3 right now, but Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse number 33, he said, uh, in this life you will face many trials, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Um, we are, um, if anyone has told you that being a believer and being a follower of Jesus means that you're not going to have trouble, they lied. They lied. Uh, in fact, you may have more trouble um, and more trials, and you say, well, thanks for the boost of confidence and hope this morning, Pastor. I really appreciate it. Um, we do have hope because of what Jesus said. He said, take heart, I've overcome the world. Um, there are too many ways that the enemy is doing everything that he can to get you and I to lose heart, uh, to give up, uh, to become weary in doing good. But I believe the Lord is challenging us uh, to, to stand in the faith, to rise to the faith that he's called us to uh, that faces the fire. So Daniel chapter 3, we're going to read about three guys 
uh, that, were, uh, that were faced with a literal fire. And uh, this is what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide. That's really, really big. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So those guys, okay, you got it? came to the, uh, assembled to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Verse 4, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now that's one way to get compliance. Parents, this is not a good way to get your kids to adhere to the rules that you've established, okay? We will report you. All right, and then in verse 8 it says, At the same time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Now understand that these men that had come against these three individuals uh, basically were jealous because of the position that they had been placed in. And you see this again with Daniel. Um, we, we see this when Daniel's faced with the lion's den. We read this uh, in the same book and in in just a chapter over. But you talk, about, uh, you talk about the tension and the frustration there because even though these men had been brought in as captives from another land, God had promoted them. Because when you and I follow the Lord, God positions you and I to be a part of fulfilling His will, uh, not the will of men. And so what happens when you and I are obedient to do what God tells us to do is that it often draws attention. And in the moments to draw attention, the world tries to do whatever it can. Uh, the enemy, through people, understand this, your battle's not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So if there's somebody that's jealous of you, or somebody that's offended by you, or feels threatened by you, uh, don't retaliate. Yeah. Don't retaliate. Pray for them, honor them, but more than anything, honor the Lord, and continue to faithfully follow after Him, because the Lord will bless you, the Lord will protect you, the Lord will defend you, and we'll see that here in, in just a moment. But he goes on, and uh, in verse number 13 it says, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of all those instruments, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Uh, I just want to say this. The enemy is really good at threats. And uh, he's really good at manipulation and control. You understand that one of the biggest reasons that Nebuchadnezzar was furious with rage was because that the astrologers that came forward uh, to denounce the Jews said to him, Your Majesty has issued a decree... And they go on and they said, uh, but there are some Jews that you have set over the affairs of Babylon who pay no attention to you. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the opposite was true. They paid great detail and attention to the king. They were very, very, very clear about not only honoring the king, but implementing all of his laws, all of his decrees. 
but they themselves could not follow this decree that had been set. So the enemy comes in to say, well, they're, they're, they, don't, you know, they don't care about you. They're not going to pay any attention about you. That wasn't the case at all. So this is what infuriated the king because he's the king and everybody should pay attention to the king. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, this is verse 16, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, I want you to underline that in verse number 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace, so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace." Now, I want to stop right there. I want to pause right there, and I want to jump into our message, and we're going to come back uh, to the next part of that. Um, but I had, you, I, I had you highlight verse number 18 because I think one of the most defining things about these three men uh, was not the testimony of what happens next, but I think it was the testimony, the, the, the revelation of, of the defining aspect of their faith before the Lord is in verse number 18. But even if he does not, but even if he does not, I, we'll, we'll, we'll shorten that for southern, southern terms this morning, and we'll say, but even if he don't, right? But even if he don't, even, even if he don't, we, we refuse. We're not, we refuse to change our position. This, the thing that I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that the faith they had is that even when they were facing the, the blazing furnace, even when they had been called before the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and they had been put before, they refused to move from the position that they knew was clearly defined and clearly outlined in the Word of God. Their faith was not in man. Their faith was not in themselves. Their faith was not on their present situation or circumstance. Their faith was firmly fixed on the fact that God's Word is clear, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we refuse to bow before, to worship, to give honor to any other God other than the God who created the heavens and the earth, the only God. God that has ever been, that will forever be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is Alpha and He is Omega. There is no other God. He is the only one that lives. He is the only one that has all power and all authority. He is the only one that matters. So even though we stand before the most powerful man on the face of the earth who was able to do amazing and incredible things at that time in history, at that point of events that were taking place in the world, we refuse to be moved by your threats and by the fear of what's happening. Church, I'm telling you today, the enemy is wanting to do everything that he can by the fires that we face, by the threats that we face, by the trials and the tribulations that we face to get you and I to move, to get you and I to second guess, to get you and I to back down from the fact that the God that we serve is able to deliver us. The God that we serve is able to rescue us. The God that we serve is able to do the impossible. But even if he doesn't, we will not move 
move because what God's word has said is forever final. It is not temporary. It is not just what it affects and how it affects the side of heaven, but it is eternal. And because of who I am and because of what has happened in my life, I cannot move from what I know to be true that my God is the one and only, that my God is faithful to his word, that he's faithful to fulfill his promises. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their given names after they had been taken captive to Babylon stood before the king not out of disrespect, not out of disregard, not out of dishonor, but out of the highest honor and the highest reverence to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords and said to him, we do not need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. Let me tell you, one of the biggest things that will set you and I free is when we stop trying to defend ourselves to everybody else around us. Tell your neighbor, stop defending yourself. You know why so many of us are tired and weary in the church? Because we're trying to defend ourselves to everyone around us. The word is clear. David said it. You are my defender. The Bible is clear. It's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before the king said, we don't need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. We don't have time to take all of the, all of the words of God that have been spoken and the revelations that have been given to make clear to you the reason why. All we need to say is our God is able. Our God is mighty. We've watched him deliver and do the impossible. We've heard heard the accounts and the testimonies and the words of the children of Israel who were brought out of Egypt, of our King David, who we watched God do amazing and incredible things through not only his reign, but even leading up to that. We don't have to stand here and give account to you because our God is our defender. Our God is our defender, and so he will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, but even if he doesn't, see, that's where the level of faith changes. But see, I just, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is stirring our hearts to a point as the church and as believers to stop allowing any setbacks, any, 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 any events or circumstances or situations that would try to derail us from the revelation and the truth and the confidence that we have in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Word of God to no longer be moved by temporary circumstances and temporary setbacks and temporary difficulties, but come to a point of saying, this is what the Word of God says. This is what I know He's faithful to do. But even if He doesn't, I will not move from this place of praying, of believing, of fasting, of giving, of going, of serving, of doing until he calls me home. And whether it's in this present trial and tribulation or one that is to come or the rapture of the church, I will remain committed to the fact that my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is worthy of all of my praise. So I will fight for my family until he takes me into glory. I will believe for my city until he calls me up to that place. I will continue to stand firm and to know that my God is faithful. But even if he does it doesn't. It doesn't change my mind. It doesn't change my position. See, the faith that God is calling us to is a higher faith. It's a faith to face the fire that even when the burnus, even when the furnace is blazing, the burnus, it's a new word. Even when the furnace is blazing, we're not moved. Even when the setback has happened, you know, we, we want God to show up before we get thrown in the fire. Amen? Can I? Come on, let's be real in this place. I want God to move before 
the problem hits. I want God to move before the storm comes. When I see the storm on the horizon and I begin to pray, I want heaven to move. The problem is, is that many times when the storm hits us, we become so discouraged and disappointed that we give up. But what about the faith to say, even if the storm comes, even if the trial shows up in my life, even if my health is affected and my family is affected and my finances are affected, it will not change that I serve the God who is my Savior, who is my refuge, who is my ever-present help in time of trouble. So I'll continue to worship and I'll continue to praise and I'll continue to give Him glory and to honor Him. And even if this is the end, He's worthy. <laughs> Woo. We, want, we, want, we want the breakthrough before the storm has even happened. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't get that. In fact, the king said, make it seven times hotter. What? I don't know about you, but if I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'd have been praying, Lord, I'm about to be barbecue, and I need a breakthrough. Amen? Here these guys are faced with this, and the king is saying, let's take it up. Seven times hotter, let's go. And their faith in, 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 their faith in that moment, their faith facing the fire and the storm that was ahead of them was, we, one, we don't need to defend ourselves to you, and two, even if God doesn't rescue us, even if he doesn't, we won't move. See, that's the place that God's calling us to as the church. Do you know why? Because when the church, when we are walking in that kind of faith, guess what? <laughs> hell hates it. You know why? Because Jesus said, I'm building my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And when the church rises up and says, this is what I believe and this is what I know and I don't care what it looks like and what it feels like and what it seems like, my God is the same. He's the same God that took his chosen people out of Egypt at the time, the most powerful country on the face of the earth. At the time, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, he humbled that man so that they would be released and God provided for them all the way through. Even in their rebellion, even in their setbacks, even in their failures, he continued. So God has always been faithful in every single season in every generation, from generation to generation, that he'll be the same in this generation today. And while there may be darkness and there may be one trial and there may be one tribulation and there may be one storm after the next, there may be one threat to the church, one threat to the believers, one threat to our families, one threat in the situations or the circumstances that we face, we will not be moved because our God is the same. We serve the Lord. So how, how do we have this kind of faith? How do we have a faith that faces the fire? There are three things that I believe from 1 Peter chapter 1 and from Daniel chapter 3 that I believe reveal these things to us. And the first, uh, the first one is this, number one. Know the word. Know the word. Tell your neighbor, you got to know your weapon. If you don't know how to use your weapon, it won't do you any good. The Bible says that the, that the sword, we have the sword of the Spirit. And what happens in our lives when we have the word of God and we have the sword of the Spirit of God and we begin working with what God has, in, has, God has provided with us and God has positioned us with is that we begin responding to the tribulations. We begin responding to the tests. We begin, to, we begin responding to the trials differently and it builds our faith in a new way. The thing that set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego apart was they knew the word. They knew the word. They knew they couldn't bow before the image that was before them because they knew the word of God. And they knew that they could make such a bold declaration to the king and refuse the order that he had given because they knew the word. Tell your neighbor, you got to know the word. 
when we know the Word, it changes everything because the Word positions us to be able to walk in the revelation and in the truth of what God has established. This is the beautiful thing about it. In the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see not only do they know the Word of God, but they knew the Word of God in an even more incredible way. We'll read that here in just a moment in the last few verses of Daniel chapter 3. But I love this in John chapter 1, verse number 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, even before we had the Bible in its current form and its current fashion today, the Word of God was being written, and the Word of God was being crafted, and it was being put together. And those who went before us, even before Jesus came, had the testimonies and the accounts and the records of what God had established and what God had purposed. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the Word. They knew what God's word had said, so they weren't moved by what the king was saying because they knew. They'd heard the testimonies and the accounts of King David who said, He is my refuge. He is my defender. He is my deliverer. My deliverer. He's heard the cries of my heart. He's heard what happens when you and I read the word of God is that we position ourselves to be fully equipped with the weapons that we need to fight the spiritual battles that are presented to us because our battle is not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities of darkness. So when I know the word, it positions me to stand firm in faith. Why? Because my feet are not just positioned somewhere. They're fixed on the solid rock which is my firm foundation. So I'm standing on the, on, the, on the rock. I'm standing on the word. I'm standing on the truth and the revelation that God has established and that God has given me. So I won't be moved when the trial comes. I won't be moved when the storm comes. Why? Because this is what the word says. Whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm going through, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance is, what does the word of God say? It's one of the biggest things that the enemy will fight us on is being people who live by the word. Because to live by the word, you've got to know the word. Tell your neighbor, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Listen, we, we're finishing up our one-year Bible reading journey, our Seek First one-year Bible reading journey. This is the last week. In fact, if you pick up the paper copies, when you come in next Sunday, I won't have one for you. Because uh, we're there. Can you believe it's been a year? Can you believe it's been a year? Can you believe that we're going into September this week? Where did 2022 go? That's what I want to know. Where did it go? Don't get me wrong. I'm ready for fall. Send that heat south. I'm tired of it. Give me some, give me some cold weather. I'm ready. Bring on the snow. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm praying for it again. You know I am. I... I Lord, don't hear those rebukes. Don't pay him no attention. I heard that. I think it was Nisa. Nisa, was that you? Yeah, she's rebuking it. That's all right. We'll, we'll pray it out in heaven together, all right? So, we, uh, we have, so we, we've, we've been on this journey for the last year through the Word of God, and it, the Lord really put this on my heart because um, I believe now more than ever we've got to know the Word. We've got to know the Word. And I love this plan that we've been following uh, because it gives us a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament every day, and Psalm and Proverbs. And uh, I love the depth that we've been able to go at and studying the Word of God. And so if you've been on this journey with us for the last year, I want to say thank you. And I want to say thank you for continuing to, to press on to this journey. I said this many times throughout the last year. If you got behind, don't try to catch up. Just start on today. 
because, and I say this because I'm not wanting you to disregard all of the passages of Scripture that you didn't read, but I'm wanting you to understand the importance of what happens when you and I read the Word of God. It is the spiritual bread for our souls. It is, it is, it is the, the bread of life. It is the Word of God that, that spiritually nourishes our spirit man. And without it, we will starve to death and die. One of the greatest things that the enemy tries to do in the church today is to isolate us from the Word of God. Because if he can isolate us from the Word of God, we will not have the revelation that we need in the trials and the, and the tribulations that we face and that we walk through. When we know the Word, it changes things. Because then when the enemy comes in and when the enemy says something, we're able to respond with the truth of the Word of God. What did Jesus say? You'll know the truth and what? It'll set you free. The truth will set you free. Let me tell you today, everyone's got their definition of truth and everyone's wrong. There's only one truth that matters and it's the Lord's. And if we don't read the Word, we don't know it. And I, This is the best illustration I can have for it. I have these ferns. How many of you have ferns at home? You've got ferns. Yeah, yeah, a few of us. All right. I love them. You, you know, the problem with ferns in the South, at least in my house, is that in the summertime when it's hot, and Jesus knows it's been hot this year, Lord, please, please, Lord, send fall. We're ready. We're, we're, we're ready. Send it, Jesus. But the, the problem with that, especially at my house, is my house faces west, so it gets that afternoon sun, that evening sun that's real nice and hot. And when it's real hot, if those ferns don't get water just about every day, when it's extremely hot like this, they start to look a little sad. And if I miss two days, they start to turn brown. And if I miss three days, I better pray. Because they're probably not coming back like Jesus did on the third day. They're, they're probably done. So, but what happens is, if those ferns don't get the water that they need, they die. The same is true for us without reading the Word of God. The, less, the, the further we go without reading the Word of God, the more the spirit man inside of us is famished from the lack of nutrients, the lack of supplies from the Word of God. So the thing I love about this plan is that in 10 minutes to 15 minutes, if you're a slow reader like I am, you can read and, and, and in a year's time go through the entire Word of God uh, together. And I say that because we're going to do it again. Amen. So on September the 12th, we're going, to launch, um, we're going to launch this again. We're going to call it The Journey, so we can journey together through the Word of God. And uh, we're going to have a couple of different elements that are going to be different this year that I'm excited about. You'll hear more about it next Sunday. And then, of course, on the 12th, we'll have it. And so if you don't have the CFA app, download it, and I will remind you to stay on the journey. Amen. How many of you do well with reminders? I do. Lord Jesus knows I need reminders. If you don't believe that, ask Miss Diane. She'll tell you. I need reminded. So you stay on the Word of God. And what happens when you and I stay in the Word is that we're positioned to be able to know what we face. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the Word of God, it positioned them to know how to respond to the King. Even though this may mean our death, even though this may mean that God doesn't rescue us, we know what God can do. We know what God's Word is clear about. So we stand firm on the Word of God. When we take that and we apply that same principle in our personal lives, 
when it comes to our relationships, our marriage, our children, when it comes to our finances, when it comes to the businesses that we, that we run, the, the companies that we work at, uh, that we're employed at, the communities that we live in. When we live based on the Word of God, it changes how we see things. It changes how we react to things. It changes how we perceive things because God begins to reveal truth in our lives and we begin to see things not based on our emotions, not based on what people are saying, but based on what God is saying. The devil is a liar. He's a schemer. He does whatever he can to steal, kill, and destroy. The word is clear about that. But when you and I know the word, we understand that there's more that's at work. The word of God is clear about what God intends and what God purposes for our life. The second thing that I find interesting about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that gave them the faith to face the fire that I believe is the faith that God's calling us to today is the second thing, which is this. Number two, know yourself. Know yourself. Tell your neighbor, know yourself. you got to know who you are. And here's the thing. Here's the thing when I say this. I'm not talking about the you that you think you are, the you that you think that everybody else thinks you are, but the you that God says you are. Because what happens when we know ourselves as God knows us, it changes how we respond in the trials and the tribulations. The thing that is so unique about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that's not their real names. That's not their real names. If we go over to Daniel chapter 1 and we look at the beginning of this, we see in the Word of God what begins to happen and we begin to see the, the, the shift that begins to take place uh, in the life of all of these, uh, in the lives of all of these men. Now, Rihanna and I were talking about this, and we said, you know, the thing that we don't understand is why is it uh, that um, that we still talk about Daniel and his original name, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their new uh, Babylonian given name. And uh, I don't have an answer for you on that. But what, I, but what I can tell you is I think that this is an awesome little truth, an awesome little nugget that I believe that God has, has stuck out to us in Daniel chapter 3, that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing the fire, they weren't facing the fire based upon the name that the king had given them or that the new country that they were in had given them, but based upon who they were based upon who God had called and who God had established them to be. So you see this in verse number 7. It says, The chief official gave them new names, new names to Daniel. His new name was Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michelle, uh, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, their names in, their names in these new names were an attempt to try to mentally shift their attention and their focus away from who God had called them and God had created them to be. Isn't that just what the enemy does in our everyday life? Try to get our attention and our focus on the things that we're dealing with and the things that we're going through to get us off of what God's Word said and who God says we are and the revelations and the truth that God's established for us so that we're so, that we're so overwhelmed and we're so consumed with everything that's happening around us that we forget what God's Word has said and who we are. As children of God. See, the thing that's so unique about these three men is, is that their names and the definition of their names uh, were, were so, uh, I believe, uh, strategic in, in this encounter that they had 
before the Lord. Because when what happens when you and I know who we are, what happens when you and I know who God has called us to be and what he's positioned us to do is that it changes how we respond to the trials and to the tribulations and to the struggles that are in front of us. And we begin responding completely differently because we begin seeing things not as everyone else does, not as what even our own flesh would see or begin to define, but ultimately as what God uh, would establish. So we uh, we see this, and the, there are three names, Hananiah, which means God is gracious, Meshach, which was Michelle, which means who is God, and Abednego, who was Azariah, which means God has helped. How awesome that the three guys that ended up in the fire were God is gracious, who is God, and God has helped. <laughs> see, when you and I know who we are, not as ourselves, but as who God is, when we find ourselves in the face of the fire, in the face of the flame, in the face of the trial and the tribulation, it's no longer about who I was before I met Jesus, who the world says I am, or who people think I am, or even what my my own flesh and the enemy tries to tell me that I am, but it matters who God says I am. See, when you and I become children of God and we're saved, we step into a new identity. We step into a new place with the Lord where we're seen no longer for who we used to be, but for who God says we are. It goes, I love this from, uh, from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new is here. The enemy will always try to tell you that you are who you used to be, not who God has created you to be. But when you and I were saved, even in that moment of water baptism that Jesus commands us to do when we are saved, is that significance of the old gone and the new here. God literally gives us a brand new identity in Christ, and we become a part of God's creation. We become a part of the family of God. So when we know who we are as children of God, it changes things. Because now, see, what, what was happening is King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't dealing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was dealing with three of God's chosen people. And when you mess with God's people, when you touch God's people, God gets involved. And it's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before the king said, we don't need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. The God that we serve is able to rescue us from the fire because he is a rescuer and he is a deliverer and he is a savior and he does redeem and that's who we are. We're children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and what you're doing is only because God has allowed it but I can promise you that when you cross the line of what God has said and what God has willed and what God has purposed, God intervenes, God steps in. But even if he doesn't, our position doesn't change because we know whose we are. When I know who's I, when I know who I belong to, when I know who I am, when, when I know what God has 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 redefined and repositioned for me as a child of God, it changes every threat I face. It changes every fire that's in front of me. It changes every storm and every trial that I go through. Why? Because I don't have to fear that this may be the end. Because I know that even if it's the end on this side of heaven, it's the beginning of eternity with Him. Because this world is not my home, and this is not all 
there is. I'm here for such a time as this. Isn't that what Esther said? To be able to declare, or what, what Esther was said to Esther. But what happened in that moment is a shift and, and change to what? God has placed us for such a time as this to realize in this moment that I'm not fulfilling my will. It's not about me. It's not about my purpose. It's not about my plan. But it's about the promise and the will of God and the fulfillment of his word in the midst of the earth in this day and this season and this hour. So we don't need to defend ourselves to you because we know who we are. It's freeing. Why? Because no longer do I have to try to defend myself to everyone because God is my defender. So when the enemy's doing everything that he can to steal, to kill, and destroy, what do I do? I pray. I stand firm on the word of God. I begin to pray and I begin to fast and I begin to declare the love of God. And I even show love to my enemies. Why? Because that's what the word says. And I begin to pray for those who curse me and those who despitefully use me. And I begin to pray blessings over them, believing for the salvation of God and the goodness of God and the favor of God in their life. And I begin, my whole attitude and my whole outlook changes. Why? Because I'm not who I used to be. So who I used to be, I'd have taken matters into my own hands. I'd have begun to, I'd have begun to fight. I'd have begun to retaliate. I'd have begun to do all of these different things. But because I'm a child of God, my perspective is totally different. I don't fear what's in front of me because I know who's with me. It's just like the disciples when they sat out on the lake and the storm came and Jesus was in the boat. What do I I have to fear when Jesus is in the boat? What do I have to be afraid of when in the presence of my enemies he prepares a table before me? What do I have to be afraid of when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I know that he's with me. What happens in my life in every season, in every situation, in every circumstance is I know who I am because I'm a child of God. So in everything that faces my family, my marriage, my children, my finances, and every other area and aspect, I'm a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm an ambassador for the King of Heaven. Heaven, and I'm here to declare to you there is hope in the midst of hopelessness. There is joy in the midst of sorrow. There is freedom and there is deliverance and there is salvation. And no matter what your plan is, no matter what the enemy's plan is, God has the final say. And I can rest in knowing that he's the one who's in control. In fact, he sent his son to tell me not to worry about tomorrow, but to trust in his name, to seek him first, and all these other things will be added. So I'm going to just put my hope and my trust in Jesus. This, and I'm going to know that as a child of God, as a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to be afraid of. I don't have to back down from the threat that's in front of me because I know who's in control. Who you are, who I am, who God has called us to be is so critically important for us to know and for us to understand. And when you know the word, you know who you are. Tell your neighbor, read the word. Tell your neighbor, know who you are. Know the word and know yourself. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they, because they, knew, because they knew the word, they knew God. That's what John 1.1 clearly defines. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So here's the deal. When you and I know the word, we know God. What did Jesus say? Uh, he said, there will be many on that day who will say, Lord, Lord, did I not do all of these things in your name? And what will, he, what will he say? Away from me, I never knew you. Why? When we know the word, we know God. When we know the word 
And we, we take that in partnership with the Holy Spirit that God has given us, and he begins to re- reveal things to our heart. We begin to know the heart of God. God begins to show us things in a different way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the word of God, and because they knew the word of God, they knew the heart of God. They, know, they knew who God was and what he had established. Jesus said it in John 14, 6. He answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when we take the word, which John 1, 1 says, was in the beginning, that it was with God, that it was God. And we take John 14, 6, and we realize what happened in Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's time, that while they didn't have the present Holy Spirit in the way that we do, manifest in the same way that we do, because of their understanding and because of their relationship with the Word of God, they knew God. So because of that, it strengthened their faith, it strengthened their resolve. The second thing in knowing themselves is that they knew because of who they were, they knew who they'd serve. See, when you and I know who we are, we know who we'll serve. That one, I, I firmly believe this. I believe, one of the biggest, I believe one of the biggest challenges that we have to today and in today's society is an identity crisis. People don't know who they are. And if you don't believe it, just look at all the junk that's happening in the world. Look at all the stuff that's happening in our nation right now. All this stuff about, I can't decide if, what I am. No, you are who God says you are. You are who God created you to be. The reason that we have all of this confusion, the reason that we have all this place is because we don't know who we are. Because the enemy wants to do everything that he possibly can to keep you and I from knowing who we are, who God says we are, who God created us to be, who God purposed us to be. So there's this constant threat to the identity crisis of our lives. Because if we don't know who we are, then we don't know who we serve. So then we serve anything that comes along based upon how it feels. Let me tell you, the heart is deceptive. That's the word of God above all else. Where will it lead us? There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Why? Because the enemy is doing everything that he can to steal, kill, and destroy. So if he can keep you and I from knowing who we are, then we'll never know who it is that we serve. So we'll serve whatever looks good, feels good, is popular in the moment, seems good at the present time, or is what everybody says that we should be doing. And the problem is, is that in doing so, we begin enslaving ourselves to the enemy and robbing ourselves of the freedom that God has established for us. Why? Because we bought a lot and not truth. And the moment that we've settled for a lie is the moment that we found ourselves enslaved. And when we're enslaved and there is no freedom, then we begin to serve the master of whatever it is that we're following. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that they were in captivity in Babylon, but it didn't matter where they were, they knew whose they were. Ha <laughs> ha. This is what I love about this. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what their real name was, knew what their real identity was, knew that they were children of God, even though they were in a country that did not honor or follow or serve the Lord, they continued to honor, follow, and serve the Lord because they knew the only God that we serve is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So even though I'm in all of the perverted mess and junk and chaos that's going on in this country, I will not settle, I will not refuse, I will not back down from what I know to be true because there's only one God. I serve, and his name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So I'm going to worship him, and I'm going to honor him, and I'm going to serve him, but only him. Only him. Jesus said it. You can't serve two masters. Only one. Why? Because there's, here's the deal, and, 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 this, and this, is the, this is the flip side of this. How many of us love serving? Well, that was a real loud hallelujah. I had a couple hands from the media team in the back. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Give it up for our media team. Aren't they great? 
How many of us love serving? Let's be honest. Serving is a challenge of the flesh, right? There are some things that we like to serve. There are some ways we like to serve. But there are other ways that I absolutely could care less about serving that way. Why? Because serving is a sacrifice. Yeah, right? But I'll tell you this right now. If you don't know who you're serving, I promise you, you're serving somebody. You're either serving the flesh and serving the powers and principalities of this world, or you're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But even when you don't think you're serving anybody and you're free, I promise you, you're more bound than you've ever been. Why? Because that is how sin works. That's how the enemy works. So it's this beautiful, deceptive thing that the enemy puts before you that says, here you can have your freedom and you can have it your way and it's all wonderful and it's all glorious. And you step off into it and you find yourself in the middle of the biggest mess of your life and the, and the most hopeless, sometimes dangerous situations that you could ever possibly face. Why? Because the enemy has enticed you. He has tempted you as he does every single one of us, as every single one of us are faced with, to give into that lie that was presented as a truth that now has you in a place that you never wanted to be in, full of no hope, no love, no peace, no joy. Why? Because if we are not serving the Lord and we are not following after Him, then we have opened ourselves up to all of the junk that the world has to offer, that ultimately the enemy presents to us. It's why Joshua said what he said to the children of Israel. And I love that he said it more than once. It's like he knew what he was doing. He said, choose you this day, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why? Because he knew if we're not serving God, we're going to serve every other king, every other province, every other nation that's around us. The same is true today in our own lives. If we are not serving the Lord, we are serving whatever else it is that is around us. And whatever else it is becomes the master over us. And it robs us of the freedom that God has intended and that God has purposed for us. When we know who we are, we know who we'll serve. We know who we are serving. Jesus said this in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When we love our neighbor as ourselves, I've said this many times in the past, and I was talking about this with the Holy Spirit even this last week. I said, you know, one of the, one of the hardest reasons, one of the, one of the most difficult things for us is to love our neighbors as ourselves because a lot of times we don't love ourselves. And you, if, you don't know, if you don't know how to love yourself, then you're going you're to have a hard time loving your neighbor, right? So, and and the, there's, a, there's an additional part to this that the Holy Spirit was talking to me about this week, and it's that we cannot love ourselves until we love the Lord. Because it's only in the love of God that we learn to love ourselves. Because isn't it, isn't it the love of the Lord? What is, what is it that Jesus said in John chapter 3? I don't have time to read it this morning. But in John chapter 3, he talks about the whole, he talks about the whole thing that, that God had established, the whole thing that, that God had purposed. And, and Jesus talks about how we have to be born again. He talks about the process of all of that. And he goes into one of the most famous verses that's known in the church world, which is John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. So when we look at the depth of the love of God, once you and I begin to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, or with all of our strength, depending upon which chapter and which book you're reading it out of, when we love the Lord with everything that we have, it's only then that we're able to love ourselves. Because the enemy wants you and I to walk in condemnation, 
to where we're constantly beating ourselves up because of our past and our failures and our sins and our mistakes. But Paul says what in Romans 8, 1? There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what happens when you and I step into that is that we're then able to love our neighbor as ourself. When I know the love of God and I love the Lord with everything that I have, and I love my neighbor as myself, those are the moments that I'm able to truly know who I am, who God has called me to be, and what he's purposed and placed me for on this earth. So we have to know the word, and we have to know ourselves. These three men did that. This is how they faced the fire that was in front of them. And the last one, I love this one, the third point, number three, know the promise. Know the promise. Tell your neighbor, know the promise you got to know the promise. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. The promise that God has given us, and here, as far as promises go, I mean, there's no greater evidence that's ever been than, than Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? So, and, and the rest of Hebrews 11, and then, you know, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I don't have time to go through all the books of the Bible. There's 66 of them, but all 66 of them go to further illustrate and confirm the point of what Jesus was making and the promise that God's made to us. The promise that God has made to us is that what? If we believe, if we believe, then what? We don't perish, but have everlasting life. The promise, we read it in 1 Peter, I love it, in 1 Peter chapter 1 in those verses 3 through 9, we, we read about this, this promise. Uh, and, and he says in verse, in verse number 4, he said, This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What is he talking about? Eternal life. It's the greatest thing that we have. It's the greatest thing that we have on the earth. The promise that God has given us, the inheritance that God has established for us. Verse number 9, for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The moment that you and I said yes to Jesus, we received the salvation that God has given us and the promise, the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So what happens when we're faced with the trials, when we're faced with the fires, when we're faced with the storms of life, is that when we know the promise, it changes how we react to the problem. It changes how we react to the test. It changes how we react to the fires that we're facing, to the struggles, to the difficulties, to the impossibilities uh, that we know and that we face. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 3, verse number... Uh, let's go to verse number 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, perfects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. There's smell of fire on me when I'm within three feet of a fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, I bet King Nebuchadnezzar smelled like fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god. God can save in this way. 
Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is is what I love about, about this. When we know the promise, we realize the threat is powerless. When we know the promise, we realize the threat is powerless. The enemy will threaten you again and again and again and again. But when you and I know the promise, the threat is powerless. One of the biggest ways that the enemy wants to get you and I to back down from living by faith, from walking by faith, with having faith to face the fires that are in front of us, is to get us to away from knowing the promise. Because when we know the promise, not just have heard about it, not just in reference to it, but when we've had a revelation of the promise of God in our lives, when we've had a revelation of the love of God in our life, when we know who we are, when we know the word of God, and we know the promise, the threat is powerless. So for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, if this is it, then this is it. But even if God doesn't, but even if he doesn't, I'm telling you, when the church is living in such a way that we say, but even if he doesn't, <laughs> even if God doesn't, I'm going to believe, I'm going I'm to continue to faithfully follow, I'm going to continue to faithfully serve, I'm going to continue to faithfully do, and I'm going to believe that this is how God's going to move because this is what his word says and this is what he's established. I'm telling you, the church will see some of the greatest outpourings of the Spirit of God, some of the greatest salvation of of souls and the moves of the Holy Spirit that have ever been recorded in history because when we live in that kind of faith, it renders the enemy powerless. The threat that was made against their life was powerless because they knew the promise. What is the promise? That the faith that we have, more precious than gold, even though refined by fire, it perishes. This, this promise can never perish, spoil, or fade. So what we hold on to, the promise that we have, has has the final say. What God's word says has the final say, and the threat the enemy has made is powerless. My prayer is that for every single one of us, that we would live by the faith that God has called us to as, as his people, as a faith to face the fires. That when we see the trial, that when we see the storm, that when we face the difficulty, that instead of responding the rest of the way the world does, the way that our flesh even wants to, that we would respond the way the Spirit has established and the way the Spirit has declared and the way the Spirit has purposed in our lives, that we would hold true to the promise of the Word of God, knowing that our God is faithful to fulfill His Word and to fulfill his promise. I love this. First John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. And we know that we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats the ev- this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
and Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by His baptism in water and by shedding His blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood, and the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with His testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God, and God has testified about His Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son of His whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. We have life. We live today because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has established, what Jesus has accomplished, because of what the Word of God has said. When we know the promise, the threat is powerless. Faith to face the fire. There's, there's some major fires that we're facing right now. There's some major things that are happening right now. But I'm not interested in what the world has to say about those. I'm interested to hear what God has to say about those. I'm not interested in what I'm not interested in what the latest report or the latest news article is or the latest. My faith is not in men. My faith is not in our government. My faith is not in this world or this nation. My faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I serve Him and Him alone. So all of this stuff, all of this chaotic mess, is just a distraction of the enemy to get me to take my eyes off of Jesus and to put my eyes on the world, and to let fear and worry and all of these other things to enslave me and entrap me from the truth of what I know. Because here's the deal. The fire can be all around me (laughs) and not touch me because of who I am. So I believe that we are entering into a season, that we are entering into an hour, that we are entering into a time as a church and as the body of Christ where God has, has called all of us, where God's called, and I say all of us, I've, I've preached this word today to, to me more than anybody else, but that God has called all of us to this place and to this point where we are living with a faith to face the fire, and that when we see the fire, that we're not moved. That when we see the challenge or the difficulty or the struggle that's ahead of us, that we're not moved, that we're not burdened, that we're not overwhelmed, that worry and fear no longer have authority over us because of whose we are, because of who we are in Christ, because of what we know in the Word of God. Jesus said it, right? He said, he said it and, 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 and reminder to all of us and declaration to all of us that all those who are uh, weary and heavy burdened can what? Come to Him and find rest. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he'll teach us how to carry those things. When we know the word, when we spend time in the word of God, when we spend time in prayer every day, do you know what God's doing? He's teaching us how to carry those things. So that when we face the threats, when we face the trials, when we face the things that we're up against, we respond to them not based on our emotion, not based on the present situation or circumstance, or based on our past experience, but based on the Word of God and the promise that we have and knowing that because of what we have, the threat is powerless. The threat is powerless. But Connor, you don't understand what it could do. No, the threat is powerless. Because even if it takes my life... Even if it takes my life, it can't take my life. Because even if this body were to stop, eternity begins with Him. And do you know what you have when you have a church 
When you have the body of Christ that is fearless and living by faith. To preach the gospel and to declare the love of God without fear, without worry, without all those things. I'm telling you, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it.